AP rankings, prop bet results, and we beat Michigan State like a three-year-old at Kmart. All that and more next on Dotting the Eye with Davis and Chad. What's up, Buckeye Nation, and welcome to Dot in the Eye with Davis and Chad. This is episode 36, and we are celebrating one heck of a win versus Michigan State on Saturday night at home in the shoe. What a game. Give it to me, Davis. What do you think? Yeah, it looked like a glorified scrimmage, to be honest with you. I mean, that was pitiful on their end, and uh, it made us look like world beaters on the other end. Um I know there's a lot of conversation nationally going around that is starting to finally give us some credit. But then you also have the other half that are being like, well, that was an overrated team. They had the worst pass defense in the country, blah, blah, blah. And writing it off that we really, you know, like that was going to be expected, like anyone could have done that. And then the question is, well, then why didn't anyone else do that? So, I, you know, it's a it's mixed emotions, but a lot of it is just hating because I think they're just afraid to finally admit that this team is a legitimate contender for a title this year. And the way that we have kind of morphed from the beginning of the season to where we are now is night and day. I mean, it really is starting to mimic that 2014 year. Yeah, absolutely, man. And how can you, like that game was special, dude, and a game I'll probably never forget because one, I did not see that coming at all. Now you, you hinted towards it when you were asking questions about, you know, what do you think the best case scenario would be? And even then, I was kind of giving you crap, like, it doesn't matter what the damn best scenario is going to be. Like, it ain't going to be that. And it was that and more. And it could have been even more than that had we played two halves of football. But on top of that, man, seeing Chris Olave break the all-time touchdown record, uh, you know, over David Boston, it's not something you get to see every day, dude. And that was awesome. On senior day, last home game as a Buckeye, breaks the record. Dude, you can't write it any better than that. No, I'm really happy for him. I really wanted him to break the record. I figured he definitely would at some point this season. And he's sneakily kind of gotten up there where he's second in the nation in receiving touchdowns. I mean, you know, and he's had a couple games where he didn't, uh, that one game he didn't even get a single reception. So um, he's sneakily, you know, getting up, up there statistic-wise with even the best in the country, which was what we expected him to be. So, very happy for the guy. Um, seeing that they took that football and they wrapped it up, it looked like they wrapped it up in like arm tape and like wrote, you know, his record on it. Like, you know, that's going to the trophy case. But for sure, he's so smooth, man. And and the things that he does, like that that catch that he had uh, inside the five, where he had to readjust his body, dude. That's an NFL catch all day. That's a, on Sunday's catch. Like, yeah, what, he's, what, a, he, what a job. He, he's unreal. He is unreal, and he makes it look easy is the big thing about him. That's, you know, but that's just a testament to how much work he's put in. You know, he wasn't a highly touted recruit, as we know. You know, Ryan Day stumbled upon him looking at a quarterback. I believe it was a quarterback for Indiana, if I'm not uh, if I'm not wrong, out in California. But, you know, really happy for the guy, really happy for the entire wide receiving core, happy for the offense. You know, it finally looks like, you know, if we're, we're clicking on all cylinders and we got everything working, this is what the offense looks like. And I'll be honest. And we talked about this on the phone. I don't see anyone stopping that. I don't, I mean, I under, I understand maybe it won't be, you know, 50, 60 plus points a game, but who's going to keep us under 40 points a game. If we're clicking on all, on all cylinders like that, who's keeping us under 40 points a game? No one. Probably no one. Yeah. I mean, 
Dude, I think the key to this, as we've talked about before, is C.J. Stroud, man. When he is on, and he was on Saturday night, buddy, he's on. That's all there is to it. Like, you can tell times when he has, he's having like an off day. You know, he may be throwing behind some people, over some people. But, dude, everything Saturday night was a dart. I mean, for the most part. I mean, what a performance by C.J. Stroud, man. I got to tip my hat there. Right, so 32 for 35. So over 90% passing on the day. For 432 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, a QBR of what, 98.7 and 100 is perfect. Like he literally almost played perfect football. You know, it's it's almost crazy to think. And I mean, I know we keep going back to at the beginning of the year where we had a lot of people that were, you know, on the bench CJ train and this probably shouldn't be our quarterback. Let's give someone else a chance to see. I was one of them. And I, and I know I wasn't, but I understand to a small extent why some people were like that. But Dare I say he may be a better quarterback than what Justin Fields was. He definitely he may has be, the potential to be. He he may be one of the best quarterbacks to ever play at Ohio State. And now we're saying that that's it's almost mind blowing, isn't it? It is mind blowing, dude. And and nobody nobody should be able to test that more than me. Um, after the way that I felt the first couple of weeks of the season. And now here we are, man. You know, my question is, you know, can he get it done in big games? That's where that's where I'm at here. Uh, you know, you saw him do it versus Michigan State. We got the, you know, the big game next week against the team up north. And then hopefully we'll have a Big Ten championships and playoffs to talk about. So, you know, all that getting done, I think he's he's got a chance to write his own history. And that's a chance, you know, that the kids dream about, dude, growing up playing backyard football. This is it. This is what you play backyard football for your entire life is this moment right here. So I can't wait to see, dude. Can he make it as big? <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well, listen, and I, I want to get back to CJ because I want to talk a little bit about this Heisman race. It's kind of whittled down to kind of two main people now, but I want to get back to that in a second. But I'm probably the most impressed by how we how our defense handled that game more than anything. You know, I it's not that I'm not impressed by the offense. Extremely impressed. I mean, se- seven out of seven touchdowns in the first half. You know, and we moved the ball at will a couple times, got put behind the sticks and still made it work. Um, And of course, you know, it was a very clean game. We had that one penalty, the very first play of the game, uh, five yard um, false start. And then other than that, unpenalized the entire rest of the game, you know, played a super clean, a perfect, efficient game. Uh, But barring all that, you know, if we really look at the other side of the ball, the big question was going to be, how are we going to contain Kenneth Walker? And I know that in the last episode, you had hinted that that you really weren't worried about it. You felt really confident in our rush defense. And I wasn't as quick to get on that train, but I just assumed that, you know, I feel like we have definitely uh, we definitely have a better run defense than people give us credit for. As a matter of fact, I think we're in the top 15 run defense, maybe top 10 run defense. And judging by what we saw this past Saturday, I mean, we kept him in check big time. Now, he only ended up having, I think, what, six carries, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, he had. they had total 66 yards rushing the entire day. Yeah, so Kenneth Walker only carried the ball six times for 25 yards. And yeah. I think he got dinged up a little bit, but we also got such a big lead early on that they kind of had to abandon the run. We made a one-dimensional. And I'm also really pleased with how our pass defense handled that game. You know, we, we definitely were in position a lot. We broke up some passes, and we didn't have a single defensive uh, penalty against us either. So we played aggressive, but we played smart. Dude, when you when you limit someone like that, like we talked about, did, did I did I think that, that they were going to try to run the ball? I did. Did I think we'd contain it? I did, but not that much. Okay, I still thought that they would have 100 to 120 yards rushing. I really did. 
I just didn't think that it was going to be an overpowering part of the offense. But once you segregate it to where, okay, we're abandoning the run now. Now we're going to pass the ball and you still can't get it done. That's what I'm talking about, man. That's good defense, dude. 158 passing. 158 passing after they abandoned the run. That's that's awesome, dude. I'll take it. Now, yeah. a couple of those things were attributed to, I don't know if you noticed it or a lot, but you know, a lot of Michigan State players were dropping balls all over the field. I mean, it was I was like, God, man, you got to catch that, you know, at this level. But, you know, some of that might have just been the jitters of playing in Ohio State on in November here, but you know, at the same point in time, dude, you can't ask for anything else from this defense. If you told me I could have this performance from the defense for the rest of the history of Ohio State, I would take it. Absolutely. I mean, it was more than capable. I mean, we got by with a, a missed field goal, which really should have been a turnover before that happened because that literally looked very eerily similar to that BS, you know, not fumble call against Clemson in the playoffs a couple of years ago. But, you know, that, that's what I texted you during the game. The ball doesn't lie. Like, that was a fumble. Can't believe they didn't call it. But, yeah, it was you know, fumble. you know, we did really well on defense. And it kind of brings me to a point I want to bring up real quick. And I, we definitely got more pressure on the quarterback this time around. And it yeah. wasn't as much as I would have hoped, but we still definitely got pressure to the quarterback. And um, if those of you that listened to the last episode, of course, in many of our episodes, we do prop bets for each game. We make up three prop bets and then the loser has to do something. And this one came down to the wire. I mean, one we had was OSU passing yards. You know, Michigan State gave up an average of 329 per game. Do you think we get more or less than that? I said more. And of course, he covered that in almost the first quarter and a half. But um, so I got that one. And then we had who had the most receiving touchdowns. You took Olave. I took Wilson. It was a tie. So the tiebreaker was catches. That was a tie. And it went to yards. And Olave edged out that on uh, on the yard. So you got that one. And then it brings us to the third and the tiebreaker one, which was sacks. And it, we set it at two and a half. And I took the over and you took the under. So when I watched the game, and I even remember when I saw that sack in the fourth quarter, I had texted you and said, yep, there's the prop bet. I won. You've, you're the beer bitch now for next time we're together. And that was the end of it. So when I was going back through the stats and looking at some things, I noticed that they only gave Ohio State credit for two. And I was like, well, that's not right. I was watching the game. I saw three sacks. I know I saw three. So well? instead of going back through, the see, the problem is if I watch the highlights on YouTube, they don't show every single play. You know, they kind of show more of the highlights. So I haven't had time to actually sit down and go back through the entire game because I well, haven't just report, because you thought it was a sack doesn't mean they thought it was a sack. Well, see, that's the question then that I think needs to be addressed, because what I saw and what I ended up doing is I went back through the play by play, like on ESPN, where you can click each drive and see what the plays were. And two of them definitively said that um, Thorne was sacked. But then there was a third one that said Thorne rush uh, rush for negative four yards. And I was like, well, that's a sack, isn't it? Because if the quarterback's running with it and doesn't make it a line of scrimmage, that counts as a sack, does it not? Not if he's become a runner, in my eyes. So at what point do they become a runner? Because if he's scrambling off to the side and can't get away and the defense tackles him, that, that's always been a sack. Like, does a sack have to be in the in the pocket? Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, that's a Are good you, question. But I would know say, that? I would say now that you're saying that, it would seem to me that... How many other times have you seen a quarterback scrambling out to the side, right? And yeah, even if not they're a, not, but even if, even if they're okay, not even scrambling, let's just say that they're just still looking downfield to pass, but they're outside uh, the tackle box, right? 
and, yeah. and a defense gets them. They they count those as sacks. So how do you determine so. then? They do. If you roll out of the pocket, dude, you are now a runner in my mo- in my mind. You're a runner. You're you're no longer in the pocket trying to make a throw. Now, if you step to one step to the side or step up a step and then you get tackled, that's a sack. If you roll out, you're a runner. So I'm I'm going to go ahead right here live on the air and I'm going to Google what constitutes a sack. Do I need to get Johnny Cochran? Because I will. If the glove don't fit, you must have quit. So here's what it says. You can take this for what it means, but the definition of a sack in gridiron football. <laughs> gridiron. What the hell's gridiron football? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a movie with The Rock, wasn't it? <laughs> So a sack occurs when the quarterback or another offensive player acting as a passer is tackled behind the line of scrimmage before he can throw a forward pass. When the quarterback is tackled behind the line of scrimmage, let's see, there's other, there's other information. So what you're here. saying is that you skipped over the part that makes it. Hold on. Away. I haven't, I just haven't read it all <laughs> you yet. Skipped over the part. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm going to read it and see what it says. So, so you're making it up see. right now. No, when you the quarterback is tackled behind word to word. Hold on, listen. All right, I'll read it all one more time and not stop. I promise. And I'll even send you the link if you don't if you think I'm lying. In gridiron football, a sack occurs when the quarterback or another offensive player acting as a passer is tackled behind the line of scrimmage before he can throw a forward pass. When the quarterback is tackled behind the line of scrimmage in the pocket and his intent is unclear, or when a passer runs out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage due to defensive pressure. That is all constitutes a sack. They didn't count it as one, regardless. I I so, think it was a, a it had to been a typo. Like the problem is it's not a typo. It's real. It's really hard to go and find specific de- defense uh, defensive sacks. Well, then I would say because I'm telling you right now, if this went to the if this went to you know a circuit judge here, we'd be looking at a mistrial. Okay, the 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 evidence no, I, don't I, match no. the crime. Okay, what I what I think is that we need more evidence in order to be able to establish this. Like we need to. I think we need to find the play in question that we're talking about. No, because you can't decide what the stats are going to be. You can't decide that it was a sack. If they thought it was a tackle for loss, then damn it, it's a tackle for loss. But a tackle for loss for a quarterback is a sack. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I'm telling you it's not. I just I, read I, the definition. Yeah, but that. that doesn't make any sense. If you leave the pocket, dude, and you roll out to the side, you are a runner. Here, You're there's more information here. It says, blah, blah, blah. This often occurs if the opposing team's defensive line, linebackers, or defensive backs are able to apply pass pressure to quickly get past blocking players of the offensive team, or if the quarterback is unable to find a back to hand the ball off to or an available receiver to catch the ball, allowing the defense a longer opportunity to tackle the quarterback. In the pocket, though. He's now left the pocket. He's a runner. I'm telling you. He did not. I will not accept the fact that we have to come up with a definition or we have to decide it. If the stat line says it wasn't a sack, it wasn't a sack. Here's the you next can't just line. decide. Here's the, here's the next line, too. The quarterback must pass the statistical line of scrimmage to avoid the sack. If a pa- if a passer is sacked in his own end zone, blah, 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 and then they get more information. If the ball is snapped and he hands the ball to the running back, okay, the running back is a runner, correct? So he cannot yeah, but, be sacked. Hold on. But, the running back can but he can throw sacked. it. But he can throw it. He can throw it as long as he's behind the the uh, line of scrimmage, right? But once he touches that ball, he's a what? He's a runner, right? But he can still pass the ball. So if you tackle him behind the line of scrimmage and he's getting ready to pass the ball, that's not a sack. That's a tackle for loss. And that's the way I see it. Well, I agree to disagree. And I think this is one that we do a little more research on or maybe even put a poll question. I don't think so, sir. If it says it wasn't a sack, it was not a sack. And I win the bet. I'm sorry. No, 
No, that you cannot. It's not black and white like that. It sounds to me like that. a sore loser on her hands. That's what it sounds like. It sounds to me like you're trying to find a loophole and there just isn't one. He was behind the line of scrimmage as a quarterback and he was tackled. I will Sorry. not take this loss. I will not take it. He was he was not up running trying to get downfield. He was trying to avoid another tackle and got tripped up before he got back to the line of scrimmage. That is a sack, Mike, my, my good sir. Well, uh, the rest of the nation didn't think so in any of the stat lines, so I guess. First of all, the rest of the nation, there's, there's one guy standing behind a booth <laughs> computer that decides that crap. There's one guy. <laughs> there's one guy. Well, he Maybe didn't two. think it was a sack, so it wasn't a sack. Well, we need to find his name and report him because that was a sack. <laughs> I say we leave this out. We open ended. We do more research and we find the exact play. Or maybe we just leave it up to a poll question and let the listeners decide who won this prop bet this week. I'm not letting anybody decide anything because this is a huge bet. I'm not letting anybody decide. They could vote against me just because they want to vote against me, and I'm not taking that L. Well, welcome to the CFP. Listen, unless you got (laughs) DNA, don't come. Don't come to my door. You better come with DNA. You better come with a lawyer. That's what I'm going to (laughs) say. Well, we never know. We might actually have a listener that is a lawyer. or Maybe we have a listener that's a college officiating coach or or a college officiating referee or something. But listen. All right. We'll come back to it. All right. We'll we'll come back. We'll come back to it another time. But this is not over because I still feel like I won this bet. And you're trying to pull off your win on a technicality. Ask any real racer out there. doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning is winning. Right, and it feels good to win on my end. <laughs> All right, so so I want to get back to uh, Stroud for a minute and talk about this Heisman talk now. So Stroud has clearly separated himself from almost everyone else with the exception of Bryce Young. Because, I mean, this in this year, they've talked so much about how wide you know the net is for who could possibly win. Like, no one's running away with it this year, right? Yeah. But, of course, Ohio State's season is all back-ended right you know we have all these big matchups here at the end of the season and realistically at this point Alabama I'm talking Bryce Young has really one main matchup left because they do this after conference uh, title games are over so he has the Georgia matchup right and if you look statistically they're almost identical in everything I mean Bryce Young has some stat he has a few more yards a few more touchdowns a couple less picks but for the most part the QBRs the rating the completion percentage is almost identical. And C.J. Stroud, of course, played one less game because he didn't play in the Akron game. So you could reasonably say that they have almost identical stats on identical records on teams that are very closely matched. Would you agree to that at this point? No. You don't? So no. then tell me why you don't agree Where that they're really even right now. Are they even statistically? Yes, but um, I didn't think about the fact that C.J. didn't play in a game till now and that matters to me yeah i mean it was a game against akron where you know he probably would have had five touchdowns yeah but he uh, did through for 350 yards and that would have put him over top of bryce young statistically in yeah, but he didn't. categories i know could've, he would have so to me at this point if they're evenly to me the fact that he's played every game this year that puts him ahead okay and, and I'm okay with you saying that. And I'm not saying that he should be ahead or shouldn't be ahead. I'm saying that at this point, it feels like it's a two-horse race because I think we effectively took Kenneth Walker out of the no, equation. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not, I wasn't, I, I wouldn't track it with which way you were going with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So it's a two-horse race now. And I think betting on anyone else, like Matt Corral for Ole Miss, I mean, he's a good story. He may even get the invite, but he's not going to win. 
Um, they have, I believe, some defensive player for Alabama who's kind of on the Heisman watch. But, of course, he's not going to win. He's not uber-dominating. He's not a big name that people know, kind of like Chase Young was. And then you saw Chase Young, you know, when it finished, what, third in the voting, fourth in the voting. So the point I'm making is this. Stroud has a real chance, almost at this point, a 50-50 chance of winning the Heisman. And I think it all comes down to the next two games, which obviously it does. But what I'm saying is this. I think no matter how good Stroud plays the next two games, if Bryce Young wins the next two games, which we're expecting him to win the Iron Bowl against Auburn and that matchup in the SEC championship game against Georgia, if he wins that game, it's Bryce Young's Heisman. It is. And it doesn't matter what C.J. Stroud does. He could throw for eight touchdowns in both games and not win it. Simply because Bryce Young is already a little bit ahead and beating the almighty quote-unquote Georgia in the voters' eyes would be enough to put him over the edge. I completely agree. But if Bryce Young loses to Georgia and doesn't have a particularly good game doing it, as long as C.J. Stroud has solid games, doesn't have to be perfect, but really solid games to finish out, I think it's C.J. Stroud's to lose at that point. I... Ah, man, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough. I do. It uh, Like you said, I think it really depends on how he looks in that game if they lose. You know, if he if he still throws for, you know, 350, no picks and three touchdowns in the game, but they lose. And even if it's a close game, I, I don't see him getting beat out of that still. Like he would have to come out and, and George would really have to put it on Alabama. Maybe he throws a pick. You know what I mean? Maybe he only throws the ball, you know, 25, 30 times. And maybe, you know, completes three quarters of them or something like that. I just think I, I think he would honestly have to have somewhat of a bad game, dude. I, I really do, especially for a couple of reasons. Number one, like you said, he kind of has a slight lead. So I think one like semi-decent game would put them kind of at a tie. And I think he'd end up getting the nod, dude. I really do. Just because of who he is and where he comes from. But I think that he would actually have to have something in bad like happen to him in order to for CJ to really win it. Now, I do think that he's right there in my own eyes. I think that if CJ comes out and does what he did to Michigan State, to Michigan, and then does it again in the Big Ten Championship game, I think he's right there. I really do. But I, I just don't know if he's going to get the nod. And I, I, I don't think you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you why I don't think you're wrong is because of the voters who vote for the Heisman. I mean... It's not just your average Joe, but it's still a lot of people that are employed by ESPN. It's a lot of writers. It's a lot of um, people kind of in football and stuff. But, you know, I I can't – Booger McFarlane, did you watch him and his take on ESPN? I think it was on ESPN or maybe ABC or something when he's talking about – he's always been a big proponent that Ohio State doesn't deserve to jump Oregon before the Oregon game happened. Um, Yeah. there's a lot of people that are trying to sit here and make excuses saying, well, anyone else that had those three NFL wide receivers on their team, they could put up the same stats too. Like it's not that impressive what he's doing. Anyone could have done that. He just did that against the worst passing defense in the country. And then they flip it around and say, well, Bryce young had to lead his team to victory. And he threw for the most passing yards ever at Alabama and the second most ever in the sec with five touchdowns against a top 25 pass defense in Arkansas, which I watched the game. That was not a top 25 pass defense. They Arkansas just hasn't faced a good passing team at that point. 
I feel like there's going to be, and I mean, of course, the Heisman is a popularity contest. It's not always strictly based on stats, but, you know, I do feel like CJ is kind of that 1B right now. And I think he's going to have to play out of his mind and need some help to take it. But it's still the two-horse race either way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think you're right. I think he needs to put a performance up, two more performances like he did this week and the week before. Um, and just and just hope for the best after that because, like you said, um, if, if Bryce comes out and plays even decent in the next two games, I, I see him getting the nod. Yeah, and you're probably right. And I mean, and the crazy thing too is this: if you think back to the beginning of the season, never thrown a pass in his career, and I guess you could say the same thing for Bryce Young. But the craziest thing is how he started the season and that early loss, and you know some of the struggles he had with overthrowing people, and you know still not really running the ball much. But you know, seeing more lately that it's not as necessary, except for just some spot times he needs to do it. And he's starting to develop it a little bit more. But he has grown so much more than any player in college football that I can probably even tell you from the beginning of the season to where he's at now. Because Bryce Young was hyped, you know, at the beginning of the season. Um, and, and CJ was to an extent. But, you know, I think Bryce Young has given you mostly consistent performance throughout the year. And I think right now CJ is playing better than Bryce Young in my opinion, but I think that CJ started so slow and he's been coming up that he may not have enough at the end to overtake it, especially since people continue to give credit for playing in the SEC over any other conference. So the fact that he's doing these stats in the SEC kind of gives him that one up as well. I agree. And and I think the fact that, um, like you said, he started behind and he has taken some criticism this year, uh, criticism that Bryce Young has not taken. And whether that be for, you know, his play in the game, um, his leadership ability um, has been in question a couple of times this year, especially early on. And, you know, also like this whole media frenzy about the, you know, about him not running the ball when he needs to. And, and his little comment about that, you know, that kind of stuff, it may seem little to everybody. But when you're talking about the Heisman and like you said, it is a popularity contest like that stuff does somewhat factor into that. Yeah, you got to have the stats, but you got to be a leader. You have to be the most valuable player on your team. You know, and and he has shown little pieces here and there, whether you believe it or not, you know, that's been in the media to to kind of contradict that. So that's why I think he's playing from behind a little bit here. But, you know, you never could know, man. I've been wrong before. Hell, I was wrong earlier today. Asked my wife. So, you know. <laughs> well, in that case, you're wrong every day. That's the truth. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'll put it this way. I agree with you. I would not be surprised either way. Um, but I think some things are going to have to fall CJ's way for him to get that nod. Right. And I thought you brought up an interesting point there that, you know, no point in the year have you heard any criticism towards Bryce Young and CJ's had to deal with it multiple times. And, you know, I think that, again, is another testament to how much he's improved from the beginning of the year to the end. So and I think it's been a trickle down effect for the rest of the team, too. You know, I think this team um, has by far been the most improved. And I think if you look at any other years past, I don't know of another team that's probably improved as much from the beginning of the season to the end. I mean, literally, you could put us up against uh, those same teams in the first three, four games again, and we'd probably be 21 points better and do better defensively. I mean, we'd turn all those games that were somewhat close or whatever into blowouts. And again, that's just a testament to the coaching. I think the coaching has been uh, completely underrated with the job that they've done this year. And it also shows that the culture is great at Ohio State because the kids are buying in. You know, and you're starting to see it once we really get this cohesiveness 
that, you know, we're really starting to see that effect on the field. I agree, man. I hope it continues. You're agreeing um, a lot today. It, but dude, I'm, well, dude, when you when you blow out the number seven team in the country, fix 56 to seven at home and don't even play half a football game. There's really not a whole lot to bitch about. You know what I mean? Like I got, <laughs> that's true. I, I, I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty happy about it. You know, and you know me, dude, I'm the most negative person on the earth. But, so let me ask you this. And obviously I'm probably going to know your answer, but you know, give me, give me your grade for both sides of the ball. Give me your offense grade and your defense grade. Um, the offense, I give a solid a, a solid a, um, only reason I'm not giving, uh, an A-plus is because I don't believe in complete perfection. Um, you know, obviously there's things we could always do to get better. So I'll probably never, ever give an A-plus. But an A is pretty dang solid. On the defensive side of the ball, man, I got to give it an A-minus. And that would probably be the first A that I would give to the defense all year. I mean, they've done, dude, they did everything that they could possibly do in this game, especially as young as we are, man, as, as much of a learning curve as we've had. I thought the scheme was good. I thought the game plan was good. I thought the personnel was good. Um, we did all that whilst um, playing seniors and people that should get a chance to play on their last, you know, trip to Ohio Stadium. Dude, all that together and just the ambiance of the whole game. I, I give it an A on both sides of the ball. I'll go solid A on offense, A minus on defense. Okay, so I'm gonna be obviously relatively close. I'm gonna I'm gonna also say an A on the offense, a solid A, not the A plus because, and it's not really their fault, but it wasn't a complete offensive game. I mean. If we're talking first half, that's a plus plus plus. Like it's the highest mark I could ever give. Um, but because obviously, you know, he came out in that first drive, and uh, we ended up missing the field goal his last drive that he played in the third quarter. And then when we came in with backups, it was it didn't look great. But again, we did not have our starting offense in there. So just based on not the full complete offensive game, not necessarily by no fault of their own, just a solid A. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give the defense an A plus, and let me let me explain. What? Let me explain. One is they shut down uh, what we thought was the second highest scoring team in the Big Ten, and it was technically third, but it was like point one behind Michigan. I mean, they were at thirty four point six points per game, arguably the best running back in the entire country, a Heisman hopeful, averaging almost one hundred fifty yards a game. Keep him to under 30 yards. Keep the whole team under 100 yards rushing. And then kept the entire team offensively for the entire game under 230 while playing an entire half of football with backups in. So my the reason why I'm saying that is it was a full game performance and the fact that the backups came in and continued to make stops with the exception of the one touchdown play, which was really a really good pass, even though Ryan Watts didn't get his head around. Um, the defense even came in and continued to get stops too. Like it was finally that one game that I haven't experienced in a couple years where I'm sitting there rooting for the shutout. You know, I'm sitting there actively rooting like, come on guys, let's finish this off. Let's keep a zero on the scoreboard. So for me, I'm giving it an A plus because of the entire team effort for the duration of the game. Now, Dude, is that now a tiny bit on. high? I, I'm how not saying it was a give... perfect performance. I'm not saying it was a perfect performance. Yeah, but you can't give an A plus to a defense that has Bryson Shaw on it. I'm sorry. You just can't do it. That right there drops you half a grade. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you bring up an interesting point, but this is graded on a curve. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> this is on a bell curve. So we're, we're, we're going to ignore that little outlier there and we're going to go uh, with the, with the main curve. But yeah, I think we're relatively close. We're just nitpicking at this point. I mean that, that performance too. And we talked about this. 
I worry that, you know, I, and I understand it was, you know, we, we had the second half, you know, no, none of the starters in, but I worry about pulling that same exact performance back out again. Cause I told you that was almost perfect, especially in the first half. That's going to be almost unreasonable to do that again. Wouldn't Dude, you say, I mean, to repeat yeah. that good of a performance, I'm not saying, no. I'm not saying Dude, that we, we can't do well, but something like that dude that was insane dude we can't expect that buckeye nation no. out there don't don't expect that and i i think you guys are smart enough to know i mean if dude if that happens great i'm all for it i hope we do that every single week but it's just not going to happen you no know, that is not going to be the norm of this football team you know it's kind of a perfect have, storm man it was matchups it was playing well the other team didn't play well we played clean football it was a perfect storm of everything kind of falling you know good for us we didn't really is, see man. any bad calls and and at this point, everything going forward, you have to remember, everything going forward from this week on, A, it's a playoff game. Every game's a playoff game. The emotional roller coaster of that win at home and senior day, you're rolling right into the rivalry week. Rivalry week. Wow, then you're going, I know, we're like, God, gee, man. And then right into a Big Ten championship and then right into the CFP. Every single one of those scenarios is a highly emotional, really high-profile type of game. So you just can't expect that kind of perfection, that kind of performance all the time. I mean, it's I, I understand that, but it's going to be emotionally draining for these kids. It, it really is going forward. So I'm just hoping that we can come out and execute and do do what makes us who we are right now, which is, I think, you know, a pretty much a really good passing team with a complimentary run and a halfway decent defense. And I think right now, though, the way we're playing, we can contend with anybody in the country. I agree with that, and I just want to piggyback off the fact that you say we're a pass-first and a complimentary run, which I agree with, but I think complimentary run is being is not giving the running game enough credit because I still think we have a good enough running game that if we struggle with the passing game and the defense is giving us more run option, I think we could still possibly take a game over running. Look, If you want to go back and look at the Tulsa game, you know, even though I know it wasn't one of our best performances, but CJ struggled in that game. And what did we do? We took over the game running. And we have the backs, we have the depth to do that. So I think that's what makes this really scary is that if they can find a way to try to shut down the passing game, we have a running game that can take over and be, you know, just as efficient. It just, I mean, ha- we, we haven't had to. I mean, yes, but I don't, I'm going to disagree because I'm going to tell you going forward and the people that we have left on our schedule, that's not going to be the mantra. I really don't think so. And you think about it, dude, you know, Henderson in a big, a big of a game as this, a top 10 game, uh, versus Michigan State at home, he gets nine carries for 60, 63 yards. Right. Like at home. Yep. That's And I think we are setting up the pass by using the run, but I don't think that we're necessarily leaning on it. And I think I think you're right. If the opportunity presented itself and we had to run the ball, I think we could, but I just don't think that's the definition of this team right now. I understand what you're saying, yeah. And, then, and that's more the point I'm making. I'm not saying that we're going to try to intentionally do that. I mean, they always say they want to get the run game going, and I've told you for – you know, the better part of the entire season, as long as we can get close to 200 yards of rushing each game, the passing will take care of itself too. And that's kind of our recipe for success. So um, there may be some games and we haven't really seen it, but there may be some games closer where we get the 300 plus rushing game and maybe only 250, 300 passing. And that's still going to get us around the right number that we need to be at and be able to be able to succeed. I mean, especially if you run into, you know, a Georgia team, uh, with their defense, um, which I think they're they get they can get expo- exposed more in the passing game than the running for sure. 
But um, an Alabama team who still has a pretty solid defense and a, a possible Wisconsin matchup in the Big Ten championship game who has arguably one of the best defenses in the country that doesn't get recognized. I mean, you're going to need to run the ball effectively against those teams to still be able to get what you need to in the passing game. I mean, if, yeah, they, absolutely. if they make you one-dimensional, you still might get some of your chunk yards, but that's going to hurt you more in the red zone. That's what got us in trouble with the red zone stuff against Nebraska, uh, against Penn State um, was, you know, lack of running the football. So I still think that that's an important part that cannot be overlooked. Agreed. Dude, let's segue here real quick because uh, I know the CFP doesn't come out to Tuesday, um, which we obviously highly anticipate every week because I just, dude, my favorite part of football season, other than the actual football, is talking scenarios about the CFP. But the AP came out today. Okay, and I thought it was interesting because Davis and I – and our buddy Chaz, we're having a pretty long, drawn-out conversation last night about what we thought the rankings would be. Me and you so, were on the same page, surprisingly. Surprisingly, which never really happens. Mm-mm. But, you know, so in the AP, I just want to talk about I'm not going to go through everything. I will highlight it by saying that Michigan State dropped down to 13 in the AP poll, Okay, which I thought was 12. Was, was Michigan, Michigan State's 12 in the AP. Okay, yeah, so they're 12. Yeah. I thought that was interesting um, to me, and I kind of, I don't know, I I guess still the whole Michigan-Michigan State thing bothers me a little bit, but I'm not going to get into that. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the uh, Ohio State-Alabama conundrum, man. Who do you think should be ranked where in your top four right now? If the CFP comes out today, what's your top four in what order? Um, I think uh, it's exactly what the AP is showing. It's or Georgia one, Ohio State two, Alabama three, and Cincinnati four. Also, if you look on there, Notre Dame jumped Michigan. I don't know if they jumped them. I can't remember. Actually, I take it back. I think in the AP they've always had Notre Dame ahead of Michigan, but you know they have uh, Notre Dame close. But yeah, I mean I'm fully expecting what what they're going to put out in the CFP is going to be the same thing the AP shows. I think that the national media and a bunch of other people are finally seeing what we're seeing. And I think that they can try to write off as much as they want about the Alabama-Arkansas game, but it was still an Arkansas team that is kind of middle of the road, and if you're the number two team in the country, you should be putting a team away. I mean, we faced a team in Purdue that has better wins than what Arkansas has, and were about similarly ranked um, when we played them, and Alabama was at home and could not put that team away, could not put that team away got up a little bit, and they could not put that team away. And Ohio State blew out that same style kind of team. So I think we're finally starting to see that credit is be, is been given due, and this whole time that we've been talking that, well, obviously Ohio State should be ahead of Oregon, and it's really not that big of a gap between Ohio State and Alabama. Why was Alabama even given a number two team in the country to begin with, just based on mostly their name and probably their Heisman hopeful quarterback? But if you really look at their overall performances consistently, they've, they've had their struggles. I'm not saying Ohio State hasn't, but they've had their struggles. But the most impressive team, even just watching them, has clearly been Ohio State. So, so here's my I, argument that we had last night. And I challenge you out there, Buckeye Nation, just hear me out. Okay, so, you know, the things that they look at criteria, okay, loss versus loss. We have a better loss. Okay, well, I just want to put it like this. Buckeye Nation, hear me out a little bit, okay? If you look at what the CFP is looking at, okay, what are they looking at? They're looking at strength of schedule, okay, which right now I believe we have them beat. I do. 
They have not played a team as highly ranked as we have, and we have a better loss. Okay, We lost to Oregon. They lost to Texas A&M. Our loss is better. On top of that, dude, if you go to statistics, okay, we have a better offense than they do. They have a better defense than we do. That's the one thing that I'm going to give them. Other than that, if a team is closely matched like that, you have the same record, a similar strength of schedule, and statistics that are one is better on offense, one is better on defense. To me, it comes down to the eye test. I think that's where the eye test is used. You and I have talked about it many, many times. And I think if you look at these two football teams right now, I don't know what you'd be seeing if you said Ohio State didn't look like the better and more complete football team right now. I, I just don't see it, dude. And and what while I do think that that's what the rankings need to be, I'm very skeptical about whether or not that's what they will be, considering the fact Davis made this point last night. Quarterback for Alabama had a quote-unquote record day in the SEC, and I think they're going to hang their hat on that a little bit. Yeah, um, and I'm going to slightly disagree with you, and it's not – uh, it's me being more trying to be unbiased or anything. And you said Ohio State has the better win. They have the more impressive win. Okay, I will give you that. No, but, they have a better win. Ole Miss was ranked 12 when uh, right. When so they beat them. Then here comes back to the same argument that we've talked before. What's more important, where they're ranked now or what they're ranked when you played them? Because if you want to look at it now, Ole Miss has moved all the way up into the eighth spot in the AP, and we assume they'll be in the top ten of the CFP. And they're sitting there with two losses and a, a potential Heisman candidate quarterback, and they beat them by 21 pretty handily. That was probably Alabama's best uh, overall game the entire season. And if you're looking at Michigan State, they're now down outside the top 10, and it was more impressive what we did. And obviously they were more highly ranked when we played them. But Dude, I think we beat, we beat a top 10 team by 49 points. Right. But I'm just how does that I'm, even compare to beating Ole Miss by 21? It, it it doesn't. But I'm being more the unbiased. Like if, if someone else is not biased, that, it's a fact. Well, that part's fact. But I can see how they would turn this around to see well, Ole Miss has a potential to backdoor to a four spot. If you really want to sit here and talk about it, well, Michigan State has zero chance to get in. This is why I always say. You know, as far as the ranking goes, dude, it, it has to be what they are when you play them. It has I to agree. Be. And I'm more there too, because once you beat them, they're automatically like especially if you beat the, you know, play the nineteenth ranked team like we did in Purdue, right? And then we beat them. So all of a sudden they're no longer ranked. Does that mean we don't get credit for a ranked win? Yeah. Because we beat them and made them become unranked? Like that's that's asinine. You know, like that makes no sense. I mean, you beat them when they were ranked. So I'm more on board with your saying, but I'm just saying I can see how this can get twisted around to where they can legitimately argue, well, Ohio State didn't really have the best win. And the, and the worst Ohio loss, State, too. And the yeah, worst loss. Yeah, they have worse loss. They have a way worse loss. Not and way, because... I think it was because saying, they lost when they were unranked. Should be, and I agree with you. But again, what I think they're going to see and say, because that's the thing, the CFP can rank them however they want, and if they keep them ranked... Then they can use it and say, well, these teams that are ranked now, that team beat that team. Even though yeah, they weren't ranked then, thing. but they're ranked now. They're ranked now because they beat Alabama. They got ranked because they beat Alabama. They were not it. ranked when they played them. I know. It. Oh, yeah, I agree And with that's you. my issue. If you unbiasedly look at this thing, I'm sorry. And, dude, I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible, just like I was with the highest the Heisman conversation we were having. When I am sitting in that room and I'm on that committee and I'm getting paid a salary – or whatever, in my eyes, I'm getting paid a salary. I'm probably not. But in my eyes, I'm getting paid a salary. At least free lunch. Yeah, at least free lunch. And I'm looking at these things. 
like I said, and, and I'm comparing these things, Ohio State fan or not, dude, right now, this week, and I'm not saying that it couldn't change next week or the week after that. This week, Ohio State is the number two team in the country. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those that don't agree with that, but it's true. Alabama should be number three this week. I'm sorry. And, you, and you're and you going to have a hard thing other than telling me that, uh, well, we played Miami when they were ranked and we played a couple teams, that, so we technically we have more top 25 wins than you. Other than that, that's the only argument you can give me, that and your defense. That's it. Other than that, we have you checked off in every other category. So, right. uh, you know, to me, I, I an argument that's not that, that's not, well, we beat Miami when they were ranked and we beat so-and-so when they were ranked and, and our defense is better. If you don't, if you have an argument other than that, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it because I, I just don't think it's there. Yeah, I, I'm very close with you on that as well. And even though what I would expect and what I would hope to see and what I would agree with, the CFP coming out on Tuesday would be Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Alabama 3, Cincinnati 4. I have a sneaking suspicion that they're not going to drop Alabama because they're still going to sit there and say I'm that Alabama you. still had a quality win against a ranked SEC opponent. Bryce Young set Alabama records, almost broke the SEC record. And even though Ohio State's win was that impressive, it wasn't enough to jump over Alabama, what they've done, because they're still going to try to take the body of work and then manipulate the rankings however they want to or the, the strength of record or strength of schedule to say that it, even though it's close, it wasn't enough to make them jump. Which then at that point, I'm saying, well, then what was the whole point of even – not that it was the intent, but what was the whole point of beating Michigan State 56-7? At that point, it would have been no different had we beat them 26-23 because yeah. – no one would have climbed over top of us. It would have been a top 10 win. It would have still been look like a quality win against a quality opponent. But the fact that we expose them almost works negatively against us because we're like, wow, that team really was bad. They were overrated. And it's like as good as we did against them is almost penalizing us. Does that and make see, sense? And that's a damn shame. Yes, it does. Because you know what? Right now, if uh, let's just, uh, I don't know, pick a team. Say Mississippi State was ranked number seven last week. If Alabama trounces them, that's a great quality win. That's an SEC. That's a top SEC team. A great top ten win. And they dropped three, four spots. Yeah. That's and it. when we beat because somebody, they they're the like, "Oh shit, Alabama. they must not have been that good." They must not, not have been were, that good then. Not only were they not that good, but you know, it 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 does not benefit Ohio State to move up. It moves the other one down more. But in the other realm, you know, like you said, if, say Mississippi State, right? They lose, they'll drop four, but then they'll go ahead and bump that other team that won up if they can because that was a quality win. Yeah, and that's the way it's played. Like I said last night, and I get really, you know, I get really passionate about this stuff, dude, because I actually do care about it. You know, I think every week the rankings should be looked at objectively. It shouldn't just be like, well, um, we don't think uh, that we should move anybody this week. You know, somebody lost, we'll just jockey everybody up. I think they need to sit down, objectively look at everything. Okay, now who has the best win? Now who has the best strength? You know what I mean? Reevaluate everything. Well, that's what they come say. Up with they, a different answer. That's what they say they're supposed to do, right? Well, if then they come if with they do that, great. Ohio State should be number two tomorrow. They should be, and I'll be well, honest. I guess Tuesday, but yeah, Tuesday. They should be, and I think a big population, even if they're not Ohio State fans, believes the same thing. But here's why I don't think they're going to do it. You know, if I had to bet my house on it, I don't feel like the CFP is going to jump. Let Ohio State jump Alabama. I just don't see it happening. Um, I'm not saying it's some conspiracy theory that they want to keep Alabama and Georgia one and two for when they play each other, because I even told you this, there's no way 
with Alabama beating an unranked Auburn team next week, and if we come out and beat a top five potential Michigan team on the road, that we don't then have to jump them based on even just resume at that point. Yeah, like but will, have it, will it be that we beat a top five uh, opponent uh, handily, or will it be that Michigan just wasn't that good too? Exact same thing. Because that same Michigan team was lo- that lost to Michigan State, and that Michigan State uh, team is garbage apparently. So yeah. how good is Michigan really? You know, that's the whole problem. That's the whole narrative, and that's the whole human element part that I don't want in college football because there's bias. There's clear bias there. I understand there's got to be some element because the computers cannot physically watch the screen. But the problem is you bring these people in here, and their conflict of interest is affecting rankings that mean a lot. And you can't sit there and tell me that they're not. They're human. They're going to be biased in some aspect. They can sit there and try to be as objective as they can, but I'm sorry. You have, you know, even what Gary Barda, um, he's the chair, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. the, you know, he's with, he's affiliated with Iowa. So whether or not he's actually going to, you know, side more with Big Ten teams, or I think even trying to be as objective as he can, he might even be extra negative to Big Ten teams just to try to show that he's not being biased. But either way, there's a human element there. That is going to affect it. And it's not just looking at him and be like, wow, that kid's fast. Wow, we scored a lot. Wow, they just look like world beaters. And then someone else saying the same thing, but seeing the logo on that team, like, ah, you know, well, that's the Big Ten. That's Ohio State's always up there, you know, but they'll blow it here. So, you know, there's a human element that can't be ignored. And that's the problem with the CFP that I have, and I know that you have, because they flip flop on what they believe is more important with one team and then something else that's another. So the reason why I think Ohio State is not going to jump Alabama in the CFP this week is because of the Alabama narrative still. It's still going to be viewed as a quality win with what Bryce Young did. But also, more importantly, even as of last week, after that Purdue win in Oregon, maybe two weeks ago, only beaten what a Washington State team by 10, Mm -hmm. they still said that Ohio State was behind Oregon. They still believed that Oregon was the better team. They still thought, you know, that, I mean, that's one hurdle to jump there. Now, given... If Oregon would have won, and even by three, I still don't think we would have jumped them. I still think they would have put Oregon uh, ahead, and they're not going to jump Oregon over Alabama. So we would have been four if Oregon would have won yesterday, in my opinion. So there's no way. uh, See, but the thing to me is that, like we always go back to, I think you're right. And so people will say, okay, well, if you don't think you would have jumped Oregon, how can you say that you would have jumped Alabama if you don't think Oregon would jump Alabama? And Mm -hmm. I get that argument. But my my rebuttal to that would be still the head to head. I still thought I still think that's what's keep it. That's what kept Oregon ahead of us. But it shouldn't be because they clearly stated that the head to head didn't matter with Michigan State and Michigan when they clearly thought Michigan was the more complete team statistically and everything. I agree, but would they so win the final the, factor? The, but, but here's that's why I the think whole it was stupid thing. Exactly. But what I'm saying is that's why I think they're not using the same system for everything because what they said was we thought that even though one team beat the other, the eye test was so much more powerful that we had to put this team in the other one. But for us, they said the eye test didn't mean crap, and it was all about the head-to-head. Exactly. So the same criteria doesn't apply across the board. That's what frustrates me with the CFP. So my question is really, what you know, what kind of criteria are we going up against this week when they sit down in that boardroom? Is, is it going to be the eye test? Is it going to be, you know, strength of schedule? You know, what, what are they going to come up with this week? Because I, I guarantee you it's probably not going to be the same thing as it was last week. Guarantee well, it. Well, 
it's not going to be Oregon losing takes away any head to head. So that loss to Oregon is just going to simply be viewed as not a horrible loss because it's a top 12 ish team. Okay. Top 10, top 11, top 12 ish team. So this week, I think, you know, because Oregon lost and we no longer have that head to head conversation, uh, I think they're finally going to be putting Alabama and Ohio state up next to each other. Right. Is at least what they should be doing. They should have been doing this anyways. Because my thing is this, it, if you value that head-to-head so much but you won't do it for someone else, then it's it's almost like they were so hell-bent on keeping Oregon ahead of Ohio State that Ohio State never even had a chance to be compared against Alabama because Oregon and Alabama, there was no comparison. They weren't going to do that. So it's almost just because of the person that was ahead of Ohio State means they couldn't jump ahead of another team even if they believed it because they weren't even going to look at it. You understand what I'm saying? Almost kind of yeah, like I the do. transitive property there. So. They're finally going to be forced to be putting both these teams up on the wall and comparing them head to head. And it will be very interesting to see what they finally decide this week. Now, do I really believe they're going to jump Ohio State? I don't. I know I said that probably to no end, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do. And if they actually do jump Ohio State over them, they're finally watching some football and make making some valuable um conclusions from not only what they're seeing but then they're looking at kind of more of the whole picture too the teams that they beat the teams that they lost to statistics you know the eye test everything because yeah ap jumped them up over two teams when that happened i mean you're seeing that people are now seeing this so if this room of a handful of people is not seeing the same thing then obviously there's got to be some bias and ridiculousness in there now i know there's going to be people that say, well, it doesn't matter. Who cares if they're ranked number two? Because at the end of the day, if Alabama beats Georgia, Alabama moves to one. If Georgia just wins, they stay number one. Well, if Georgia wins, I agree, they stay number one. But we had a conversation. If Ohio State can go ahead and jump Alabama now, we're going to be looking at two really quality wins compared to only one more quality win for Alabama and already being ahead of them. So there is a potential chance if we can jump Alabama and the CFP to, on Tuesday that we have the potential to maybe be a number one team at the end of this. And that's yeah. a possibility. And that's that matters. But that but matters. Know I am. Everybody wants to know why I want to argue it because two and three doesn't matter. And that was brought up yesterday. It's not about two and three to me. It doesn't matter whether we're two or three in the country. I just want to see some consistency. I want to see the people that are making decisions know what the heck they're talking about. So if we deserve to be number two, I want to be number two. I don't want to be like number we three. We're it. supposed it to be feels like two. it. Honestly, feels like we deserve it. It does, and that's kind of where I'm at, man. It doesn't have to matter why we should be there. It's just the fact that we deserve it, so we should be there. I'm I'm sorry. That's the way I feel about it. You know, it shouldn't be. Well, it doesn't matter. So this week we're just not going to jump them. No, I don't want that. If we're number two, let's be number two. Like that's just the way I see it. It's just more of a, a consistency thing and an objective, you know, an objective look at everything that's going on in the country and, and saying, OK, we're not going to be biased this week. These are the top four teams in the country, and this is how they should look regardless. And that's the way I feel about it. And like you said, yeah, it could matter if we jump Alabama now, like you said, and something happens to Georgia, like we could end up number one. With an easier road, like you talked about, like you, you know, you and Chaz talk about an easier road. Or that's a completely a different. That's a completely different semifinal game. That's a completely different location because the number yeah. one gets to gets the closest uh, venue to them, and you know True. Ohio State travels well, so that's a completely different venue. I don't know which ones they're using this year. That's probably something I should have done my homework on to see what the two semifinals are. But 
I mean, that makes a difference from maybe going all the way out in the West Coast and staying, you know, in the Eastern Seaboard. So, yep, that's a big deal. It really it is. is. All right. Well, I think we've gone on long enough as usual. Um, we wanted to keep this episode to 30 to 45 minutes, and that's just blown all to hell. So, uh, <laughs> well, you, you get us talking on these rankings, and we could go round and round. That's, oh, that's the true. problem. I mean, literally, we could do an episode on rankings every single week, and we'd have an hour and a half of new stuff to talk about. Oh, it's true. And and I'm super excited this week. Uh, get ready out there. Um, if you're a listener to our podcast, or if you know somebody that you think would enjoy it, you know, tell them to come on over and check it out. Because I guarantee you, once these rankings come out, we got Michigan this week. We got CFP rankings coming out. Dude, this is a huge week for Buckeye Nation and for this podcast, dude. So I'm, I cannot wait to talk about it. Yeah, so our next episode coming up will obviously be the Michigan preview, and it's our first official Michigan preview. We didn't get a chance to do one last year because they ducked us on the COVID call. Yep, and And, uh, we finally – it almost feels surreal and special at the same time. Like I'm really going to value the next episode we do because we finally get to do a podcast on Ohio State-Michigan game, dude. It almost feels, you know, I don't know. Like I get goosebumps thinking about it. Like – you know, us real true fans, like we get amped. Like this is a whole week of things. Like we X out all the M's and every word that we text. And, you know, we call them the team up north as much as we possibly can, which is a mouthful, but it's worth it because screw that state up north. I mean, my favorite quote of all time is Coach uh, Hayes saying that, uh, he, you know, every time they traveled up there on the bus, he would never stop and get gas. He'd rather push it across the state line because he never wants to give a single cent to that state. My favorite thing is to got to be, dude, uh, on the HBO documentary, The Rivalry, that I watch every year. You know what I'm talking about, uh, Bo oh, Bob, yeah. You know, we're yeah. like in the middle of the sentence. He's like, nah, you know, and then all of a sudden he's like, man, F Michigan. And then he's like, yeah. sorry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> right yeah. He's, just, sentence, sitting there, he's just sitting there talking normal. And he's like, F them. He's like, oh, sorry. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> or the all-time best line of all time is when asked why he went for two. Uh, after, you know, blowing out Michigan one year, he's like, why'd you go for two coaches? He's like, well, cause I couldn't go for three. Yep. That's right, dude. I love that attitude, dude. I've always, yeah. So that. that's why, and, and honestly, that's the biggest difference. I know we'll talk about it in the next episode, but that's one of the big differences why we've had the better of them lately is because we're taking this rivalry differently than they do. And we've just had a different mindset. It's a, it's a rivalry 365 days in the making. And yeah. it's not just one week getting amped up for that. They've been preparing for this game. You know, th- this is the one that we we value the most. And I think part of it is because we were getting our butts kicked a lot in the 80s and 90s to where we're like, what do we got to do to change this outcome? And I think we have done that in spades lately. So I'm just hoping for a continuation of that. But that's for the next episode. We'll get into it then. So, Davis, tell them where they can find us. All right, guys, as always, you can check out all these episodes on all major streaming services. I do post them up on YouTube, even though I've been a little bit behind. But, I was going to uh, say sometimes. Well, listen, some of us have had a baby <laughs> and have a couple jobs. Actually, both of us have had a baby. <laughs> that's true. We've, we've been busy this year, apparently. True. Uh, you can definitely check us out on YouTube as well. Um, go to our Facebook page. Uh, we definitely post a lot of interesting stuff there. We also put links to our episodes as well in there. Um, and we're starting to get a lot more interaction and we love it guys. We love getting the ideas or just the comment share. Um, but definitely hit us up. Let us know what you think. Um, and until next time guys, go bucks. Oh, H.